This ball hit high and deep left field. Did he do it? You bet. Nolan Arenado. A walk-off ninth inning home run. And the Rockies win 10-9. Hi, this is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Welcome to episode 45 of Breaking Balls. I'm your host, Emily Nyman. I'm joined by my co-host, John Snyder. You can find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod. Or if you're feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. Another huge trade this week. Dare I say the biggest trade of the offseason thus far. The Colorado Rockies inexplicably traded their star, their franchise player, Nolan Arenado, to the St. Louis Cardinals, which has been teased for a number of years now. I made a joke about it being like the Groundhog's Day of sorts when the Cardinals have rumors that they're courting Arenado. It's happened like every offseason for the last like five years. Well, it's like teased in so far as Arenado has been like visibly disgruntled for the last 12 months. It's been teased in the sense that like in... Arenado's house, he just has like hearts around other teams in the league. Yeah. Just like, please. <laughs> so this was a bizarre happening. I mean, the Rockies, they got peanuts back for him. I believe it was three minor leaguers or something like that. And they sent $50 million to the Cardinals. They're like, here is our franchise player and we're going to pay you $50 million to get rid of him. Well, that's what was so funny, like in perspective. Remember the Lindor trade, which seems like months ago now. Um, everyone was talking about how the Mets fleeced the Indians. Compared to this, it seems like the Indians sat down and like had some solid negotiations and a, and a, and a good trade-off because th- this was ridiculous. They got what they sent Arenado and fifty-one million dollars for three pitchers and two infielders that nobody recognizes any of their names even remotely. The press conference with the owner <laughs> and the GM, the GM uh, Jeff British. He had this bizarre section of his speech, I guess, that was like, well, listen, the human experience is, you know, there, you, lo- you have people that come into your life and people who don't. And, you know, this is just one of the part of the human experience. And it was like, oh, so now he's a philosophizer, like from Dodgeball. <laughs> now he's a philosophizer. Because like, what the fuck was he even talking about? And in that same press conference, one of the reporters, so the press conference is with the owner and the GM. They're both present. One reporter asked the owner, like, sir, like, why didn't you fire British? Or like, were you thinking of firing the GM? And like, the GM was like sitting right next to him on the screen. We have time for two more. Woody Page with the the Gazette. Go ahead. Nick, based on uh, the performance of your general manager prior to the couple of years you were in the playoffs and since then, did you decide or think about deciding whether or not he should be fired? Oh, dear. Sounds like I'm getting fired. Yeah, when you start talking like that, like you are clearly somebody who like sees the end of the tunnel as far as your tenure and your current job goes. When you start waxing poetic about like, you know, it's really, it's all about love, isn't it? At the end of the day, I know we're in the baseball business, but aren't we really in, in the love, in the people business? In the people business. Isn't that like Vandalay Industries? Wasn't like their tagline, like a company for people or <laughs> something like that? No, wasn't that the, uh, or the human fund? Yeah, the it was, human it was fund, one of those. <laughs> So we have another move on the horizon. Bauer, I think, is finally going to settle down somewhere. His agent tweeted that it's down to two teams. 
Bob Nightingale earlier tweeted that a deal was done between the Mets and Bauer. And then Mark Feinsands tweeted 10 minutes later, the deal is not done. But he did say yet, which I thought was a little interesting inclusion into his tweet. Well, yeah, because the the Nightingale versus Feinstein thing, it's surrounded by just rumors in all directions. And they seem to be pointing towards... It's down to the Mets and the Dodgers, and the Mets are the front runners right now. But back to Nightingale, you, you have to ask after a certain point, like, is he doing this on purpose? Like, is there any level of self-awareness here? I, I would like to think that there is. I would find that encouraging personally, but uh, I, I, I fear the worst that he's just bad at his job. Maybe it's like, it's just like an affirmation. Like, you know how like you, you get in the mirror, in front of the mirror in the morning. It's like, I'm going to have a great day. Like speaking things into existence. Nightingale's like, I need this headline more than anything right now. I've had nothing but L's. So I'm just going to speak this into existence and just hope it sticks. It's like, what was that movement where you, uh, you take like the, the poster board and you just paste pictures of your dreams and your goals. A vision board. A vision board, right. Yeah, that was the center of Nightingale's vision board is Bauer in a Mets cap. Nightingale's just using Twitter as a vision board. His feed is just a vision board. He's just tweeting things that he wants to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and some some of the rumors going around are that it's and again, we record this on Thursday night that it could happen within 24 hours now. So we're we're on the lookout. You know, this is the beginning of the episode. So I do have Twitter open. I was hoping for a well, actually, Emily, but no <laughs> such luck. And I got to say, for the Mets to even, you know, be in these conversations with Bauer, it stands in such stark contrast going back to the Rockies, where that's totally a Mets move from, you know, circa five years ago. It's like, oh, let's ship a great player and $50 million and all that. So it... And then be like, we don't have any money. Right. <laughs> so it's nice on the one hand to, you know, have more faith in the front office and the, and the leadership of the team. That said... I had a little bit of a rough week on uh, on that front as well for the Mets. More specifically, uh, Steve Cohen seems to have deleted his Twitter account in the wake of all that madness with uh, Wall Street bets on Reddit and the GameStop stock and all that. He made some and comments Barstool. that, uh, yeah, we'll get into Barstool in a second, but it all started with, you know, Cohen was, as his Twitter persona had developed into kind of, Kind of cavalier, a little aloof is kind of like the persona he developed. And it played pretty well for a while, but uh, you got to read the room. And he did not with all this shit going down. So you, I forget, I didn't have it in front of me. I should have, but paraphrasing something along the lines of like, you know, keep bringing it stock jockeys or, you know, this is harder than it looks. Just trying to make a living, stuff like that. It's like, Just trying to make a living. Yeah, what what he should have said. <laughs> what he should have said was nothing. And that's what he's saying now on Twitter. And you know what? Um, I don't even want to say I got to give him credit because of the whole situation that's going on that we're not going to get into because this isn't breaking economics. This is no. just breaking balls. <laughs> but to be fair, he exited Twitter also because he was getting threats in his DMs or whatever, as Twitter likes to do. They like to threaten people. It's Twitter's thing is fucked up as it is. So that plus what was going on. At least you can tell that this guy is successful because he was able to, he didn't just continue to dig a hole for himself is what I'm saying. That right. I feel like a lot of people in that scenario, they like sort of, they're in too deep, they feel like. And now it's like they get too wrapped up in their head. Like, well, now I can't delete because then they'll think this, they'll think that. But he's now at the point in his career where, especially this is a pet project, that he's not overthinking it because he's like, right. whatever, fuck them. Like, I'm just going to delete this. It's not worth it anymore. Maybe I'll get back on Twitter at some point in the future when everything calms down. But see you guys later. Because he knows that no one cares right now. It was a story for three days this week, and then that'll be it because 
he was the only owner that is on social media in Major League Baseball anyway. I mean, yeah, you look at it, it's less than a week later. and You know, people are already kind of moving on from that as, as a topic. That's how fast things move. He's um, like a shooting star, that Cohen. Right, yeah, it burned out too bright. But, you know, yeah, so even his initial tweets, like, weren't that bad. They were a little tone deaf, but his real mistake was engaging with uh, Dave Portnoy when he started in. Again, he could have just ignored him, which is the right move when dealing with Portnoy, but he didn't. He engaged him. And, you know, Portnoy's a shit stirrer. That's what he does. And Cohen got dragged down to that a little bit. And, you know, talking about contrast again, it stood in contrast to, to his credit, and I will give him credit for this, he had a solid run on Twitter. You know, he did a great job endearing himself to the fans, uh, at least the, the beginnings of possibly redefining how an owner can interact with fans in general. But, uh... He flew, flew too close to the sun and uh, <laughs> Icarus like Icarus before him. Right. But, you know, I, I have to be honest. When it's all said and done and he's off now, I, I know a lot of people are of the opinion, oh, I'm going to miss him on Twitter. I'm, I'm fine with this. You know, it, it, it's less controversy. It's less bullshit. It's less stuff to have to defend to people like, oh, well, your owner. I would have occasionally people would like DM me like, oh, you know, your owner just said this. But like, man, I'm not the owner. Like, I just follow the team. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> And I love the idea of you saying that, like, you know, he showed that, like, owners, how they can be on Twitter. It's like, if you are a billionaire owner, you could be on Twitter for eight and a half weeks. <laughs> and now I hate to switch to something a little more serious. Former Met manager and current Angels pitching coach, Mickey Calloway, he has been suspended for an indefinite amount of time while the league investigates. He's been accused of sending some lewd pictures and text messages to some female reporters. Another week, another set of women in sports who are being sexually harassed on the job. And it's just, where does it end at this point? You know what I mean? Like, and at first I got upset because the angels didn't just fire his ass right away. But then uh, some people online told me that, hey, he's, since he's a coach, he is protected under the players associations. He's in a union. So he gets suspended like any other union when someone right. gets in trouble. So they still are suspended. They still get paid, I believe. And they investigate to see what went down. Right. I, I think that's especially important to keep in mind. You know, we talk about optics, especially with all the stuff that went down with Porter, who the Mets were able to fire right away, you know, because he's not part of the union. And so because of Mickey Calloway's Mets ties, that I, I did the same thing. That was my immediate comparison. It was like, wait, the Mets fired Porter, but the Angels aren't firing Callaway. And that's right. The whole union stands in the way. So rest assured, it's almost certain that he will lose his job eventually. But that's just the way it goes. They have to suspend him first. And what's not haha funny at all, but online in the reply section of, of any story like this, it's always a mistake to look at the replies or the comments, but I, I cannot help myself. If everyone listening hasn't realized that by now, I literally cannot help. I put my feet in the fire every single time. People on there like, let's before we, we, you know, throw this guy in the trash, let's wait for the whole story. I'm going to wait for the whole story. It's like, we already have the whole story. Right. They're in fucking text messages. This isn't like some he said, she said. It's literally this idiot sent these things to women that they then save them because they're in texts. So we have all we need. The shirtless pictures of him holding like a chainsaw or some shit. Like, I'm almost speechless. Because at this point, I don't even know what to say anymore. I, this, As a woman, this isn't surprising to me. And to any women who are listening, I know it's not surprising to them because sexual harassment is such a real part of all of our lives. Every single woman, woman that you know, and sometimes even young girls, it's a part of our lives. So when we hear it, it's like, oh, yep, another day, another person, you know, famous or not, getting harassed or getting assaulted. So 
it's just it's I'm t- you know I'm tired of it and I know that sound that may sound cliche but it's just it's just frustrating because people look at these things and they see themselves as people who are capable of that because some men may look back and say hey was I keep did I do that so they want to defend this person and it's like listen just don't text when we want to work just like everyone else we're there to work the way to stop this kind of thing in the workplace anyway is realizing that women are there to work just like you this isn't a fucking meat market if you meet someone at work, you can date them. Sometimes that happens when there's reciprocity. But when someone is clearly just being professional with you, why would you send them a picture of your dick or a picture of you shirtless being like, oh, hey, you want that story this weekend? Like revving the chainsaw. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to put it in context and remember that these are not, well, it's not that they're not isolated incidents, but in addition to being isolated incidents, they're indicative of a bigger problem within the industry. You know, and I, I I wanted to say that because what I'm about to say without context could be well taken out of context. But you know, it's it's disheartening to see all the LOL Mets reactions to this. And that's not about me defending my team. That's not the point. Because you know what, when the Mets deserve an LOL Mets, I'm right there. But this is a case where it's like it's not about that. It's about the people involved, right? It's about the fact that this is everywhere, and you just happen to be hearing about this one. So, you know, so to sweep it away as something like, oh, oh the fucking Mets again. And like, oh, it's, it's, you know, there, there's unfortunately there's there's more to come. This is not the last one of these we're going to hear. And it needs to be recognized as, you know, again, despite the fact that they come across as isolated incidents, they are not. And they're part of a bigger picture. And uh, it, it's disheartening to see so many people lose sight of, of that context and that perspective to this. And this one was particularly terrible because he had a reputation. So this wasn't like, holy shit, Mickey Calloway, he's a family man, all blah, blah, blah. This was like, oh, yeah, old Mickey again. He's at it again that people in the in the industry already knew that he was doing this, that women in the industry, they, they will warn each other. And it, it's not the women's fault, but people that are in positions of power, like I'm sure the owner of the Cleveland Indians, who knows what Terry Francona, his former... Right. manager when he was a pitching coach over in Cleveland they all they all know and they just all sort of just let it go because this is not odd behavior he's not an odd man out like John was just saying and that's the problem so it's not a Mets problem it's not an Angels problem it's not an Indians problem it's a league-wide problem it's a worldwide problem and it doesn't just stop here and it does tie back into the Porter thing insofar as insufficient vetting you know I've seen some people calling for Sandy Alderson's head and while I don't personally necessarily agree with that. I understand where they're coming from. And I think that it, you know, especially these, and again, you know, these two, these two incidents coming out, and it's not just those two, but it's what we know about. It speaks first and foremost that people need to be vetted better, right? You need to A, speak to women and you need to speak about, you know, in such a high profile gig, I mean, really in any gig, but especially in a high profile gig, Personality matters, you know, how you are off the clock matters. And it's clear that, you know, guys like Porter, guys like Callaway, through whatever level of either indifference or not asking the right people or not trying hard enough, they were able to slip through the cracks. And that's that really needs some eyes on it. Without question, a surprising thing, since we just pointed out that that was very unsurprising, unfortunately, but a surprising thing this week was the announcement of Dustin Pedroia, Red Sox great his retirement and it was surprising to me because I kind of already thought he was retired. I mean, he hasn't played in like two years or three years. So it was almost like he came out of retirement just to retire. And people were upset that I made that joke. 
Well, you know what? I mean, it also, it says something for guys who retire at a time when, you know, the public perception is that they have more in the tank. You're like, oh, come on. I mean, there's something to be said for that versus something like Pedroia where he's limping across the finish line and it feels more like he's like throwing in the towel and admitting defeat versus going out on his own terms. It's one of those things you don't necessarily think about it in the moment, but that, that occurred to me. I was like, oh, this is not how he wanted this to go. I don't think. It is sad, you know, all jokes aside, I, I'm not like a vitriolic Yankees fan as far as like hating the Red Sox is concerned. So it, it is sad when a player like Pedroia, who um, is, means so much to the city of Boston and to Red Sox fans, goes out like this. But I mean, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Now you have people talking about, well, he's a he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And forget about the whole ballot thing, if you're a Hall of Famer or not. But I, I don't know about that. I mean, I was looking at his numbers earlier, and I guess you have to keep in mind, he's a second baseman, but his he ends his career slash line of 299, 365, and 439. That's an OPS of 805, which is pretty good. His on-base percentage is fucking ridiculous. And an OPS plus of 113, uh, weighted runs created plus of 115, and a FWAR of 46.6 and an RWAR of 51.6. So those are pretty serviceable numbers, I would say, plus an MVP and a Rookie of the Year. Well, I think you're forgetting, I mean, with all due respect, the biggest stat here, which is that he was the cover boy for MLB The Show 2009. Whoa, which, John, I don't, mean, don't get fame, ahead of yourself. Hall of Fame status right there. <laughs> and whoa, whoa, don't don't let the cat out of the bag. We got more in store for you people as far as the MLB The Show is concerned. No, no, just, just one paw sticking out of the bag. I'll put it back in. <laughs> so truth be told, I didn't look into like the jaws for second baseman. I should have, but I didn't. Um, so I don't really know where he falls as far as like second baseman that are already in the hall is concerned. But uh, anyone listening, I'd be interested to know. <laughs> no, sorry. What are you laughing at? I, I'm, I'm laughing at myself because you said jaws. <laughs> and put Pedroia, and I just, the line came into my head. You're gonna need a bigger boat. We're gonna need a bigger haul. <laughs> we might, it, well, it's ironic that you said it since he was like five foot four. <laughs> oh. I'm talking was, as if in the past sense, like as if he passed on, you know, he's still very much with us. So anyone listening, if you think that he's a Hall of Famer, give us a call, 631-820-7377. Make your case, I would love to hear it. I know we said we would put the Hall of Fame stuff behind us, but obviously, Every time I try to leave, something keeps pulling me back, me back. And that's me with the Hall of Fame. So just get used to it, all right? Once again, the league gave a proposal for a 154-game season, extended playoffs, yada, yada, yada. They've been, like, tweaking it slightly. The Players Association rejected it because there's no reason for them to start late. Of course, you know, like we mentioned last week, Arizona and now the league is trying to say that it's safety protocols, but we all know it's not. I mean... Whether they should actually be playing during the pandemic, that's a whole nother conversation. But that aside, there's no reason for them to delay the start of the season. So for once, it's really funny to watch the fan base sort of sway back and forth as far as these conversations between the association, players association and the league. It's always like the fans will back the league and never the players. So now it's flopped and it's actually kind of nice to see. It's a little bit of a breath of fresh air, if I do say so. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was nice to see them. I mean, because they were being offered 154 games being paid for 162. So it was nice, even in light of that, to see them reject the whole thing. My my big takeaway, and I'm harping on this because I'm a Mets fan, is the goddamn DH, which I'm in that annoying position of like, yeah, I, real, I, I realize that we kind of need it at this point, even though like it's not my favorite thing in the world. But uh, as of right now, 
we're set up for no DH this season, which sucks with the whole Alonzo Smith thing. But it's not a 100% done deal, but it's kind of looking like it's just going to be baseball as usual, you know, as of a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, you have to assume because for them to do that, it would have to be like an amendment of sorts. Right. Because it's not in the collective bargaining agreement. And as we've mentioned time and time again, the the current agreement expires in December of 2021. So there's going to be a lot of boring ass union and league negotiation talk come winter of this year. And we might see a lockout as a result and because Universal DH is going to be dangled like uh, the jingle keys, like to distract the baby because the owners are going to dangle that in front of the players knowing that they want it and try to slip in some other stuff with it. So it's going to be really interesting. Fingers crossed for Universal DH on this side of the conversation, obviously, but beggars can't be choosers. Yeah, that, I mean... That saying makes no sense in that situation, <laughs> but you guys get it. Well, you know what? The the big takeaway is as of today now, we have 11 days till spring training. By the time you're listening to this, nine days. So sooner baseball is good baseball, right? Wow, that's crazy. Nine days? Dude, yeah. February uh, February 15th. Yeah, I guess pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting around uh, next episode, episode 46. That's the move. Wow, guys, I can't believe we made it through this fucking offseason. It's been crazy. It's been awesome. It's this happening. Podcast helped, seriously, this podcast helped make it go a lot quicker, I think, because usually I feel like there's a lot more time between World Series and spring training. And because we've had to come up with a show every single week, that really made the fucking time fly by, let me tell you. Oh, I'm, I'm ready for it, man. We had that big snowstorm this past week, so I was we had to cancel our production meeting, push it back a day. I came over here. It's snowing. It's cold. I got my Converse on, which are like napkins in the snow. Just like, I am so ready for the goddamn games to start. Soon enough, my man. Soon enough. Now let's get right into the voicemails. Our first voicemail is from Nick. Hey, guys. You know, it's so unfortunate that these news keep coming. Uh, if you go and look at the athletic, Britt Garoli put a great story of hers. When the Porter news came out and she, with Ken Rosendahl, talked about last night, it's just sadly unfortunate. But question for both of you, and if DJ wants to chime on into this too, um, do you think professional sports cares about women? Because, you know, what if, what if these were players and a player was involved in the Garoli incident, but if they're talented you know they're going to play. So at what point do we get to where, where they just say, you know what, there's no excuse for this, no matter who you are. If you are involved in anything like this, you're banned from baseball. Great pod as always, and uh, keep it up. Well, Nick, I not to get meta, but unfortunately, until people, and particularly women, become more important than making money, It'll never end because that's really what it boils down to is that, you know, leagues can can pretend to give a shit and, and suspend guys for this or or fire them for that or whatever. But at the end of the day, they usually don't get fired. They get suspended. They serve some suspension. And this and that's not even for harassment via text message or anything. It's it's for things way. I don't want to say worse because it's not a competition, but things to a higher degree like physical assault. And they still come back and they still play. If they're good enough and an elite and a team can think that they can make them money, then that's really that's really all people care about. Can they make money? Yeah, Nick, I don't I don't think you're asking a bad question, but I don't know if you're asking the right question. And I mean that with all due respect, just in terms of 
I think the bigger question is, does society value women? You know, because baseball is part of that. Baseball just reflects that. And if anything, because baseball has more visibility on it between, you know, social media and traditional media as well, we see more of it, right? We see more of the of the issues that women face in ways that, you know, they still face them in, you know, boardrooms across America, all different workspaces. The just visibility isn't there. Now, I think that goes both ways because uh, the visibility that, you know, some of these, for example, female reporters have allows them in cases like this to, you know, eventually, you know, get the word out, um, you know, when they're safely able to and, you know, sometimes bring bring guys to justice, but it doesn't happen frequently enough. And that's not their fault. You know, the power dynamics are all stacked against them in cases like this. So, yeah, so I think it's, you know, the the sports question, it's not a bad question, but I think it's bigger than that. And we just see sports as a microcosm of a bigger problem in society. Nick, thank you so much for your call. Our next call is from Andrew. Yo, Andrew from Mouse Kitchen. So it has come to my attention that once again, Yankee fans are over-fetishizing this stupid having a lefty for a lefty's sake without realizing that we have the best fucking offense in the league and this lineup has been really good from 2017 to the present. So chill with the balance for balance sake and just realize that this lineup is freaking split-proof. Uh, and I'm not done causing chaos. Another thing I want to bring up is the fact that the Yankees should sign Tyler Clippard. <laughs> Terrorist! Are there legitimate baseball reasons I'm bringing this up? Yes, because, you know, he throws a sinker now. He walks a lot of less people. He's really good. 2017 was an outlier. But more importantly, I just want to see some chaos, man. I want to see Yankees Twitter melt down and then get proven wrong and realize that the stupid he-can't-handle-New-York crap is mostly just bullshit. And yeah, that's it. Uh, I also would like to remind everyone that it is not the elves, or men, or the orcs, or the uruks, or the ents, or the trolls. It is the dwarves that go swimming with little hairy women. Oh, it's the dwarves that go swimming with little hairy women. And yes, I'm an extended edition guy. Later. Andrew from Hell's Kitchen again. Forgot to mention, that dwarves thing I just said in my earlier voicemail, uh, very fitting considering Dustin Pedroia just retired. Thanks. Andrew, thank you. I could not agree with you more. The fact that before now, of course, Didi has already signed with the Phillies, so this was a conversation from over a week ago. But I was seeing Yankee fans say that the Yankees should sign Didi because they needed a, another lefty bat in the lineup. And I was... I, I was about to say looking. I wasn't. I was looking at my screen reading these things, but I was quote unquote looking at these people and I'd say, Who sh- whose bat should he replace? Voight? You think that that makes a team better? So that's a point that some people were at. Just putting a lefty in there for lefty's sake and thinking that that makes the lineup better, not thinking about the players and who's a better hitter, Didi or Voight? Didi or Stanton, Didi or whoever else is going to be in the lineup that he's going to have to now flop a uh, switch out with. None of them. He's not better than any of them. So just to put a lefty in the lineup doesn't make any fucking sense. These guys are professional hitters. Like you said, this lineup is one of, if not the best in the league when everyone is in the lineup. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I know it hasn't won a World Series, but that's how this fucking game is. It doesn't, having the best lineup doesn't guarantee shit. Having the best pitching staff doesn't guarantee shit. Look at the Braves in the 90s. They had like a, a 
pitching staff full of Hall of Famers. They won war, one World Series. So people thinking that one this one lefty or that one pitcher is going to tip the scales are kidding themselves and setting themselves up for frustration when the move happens potentially. And then we have the same finish that we've had in the last few years. Just a, a couple stray observations to add to that. I get a kick out of how last week the narrative was that the Yankees are going to eat the Blue Jays alive because they have Steven Matz now and you have this righty heavy lineup that's going to destroy lefties. And then fast forward a week and everybody's bored and now we have too many righties and we need a lefty. I find that kind of funny. That's the Yankees for you. Yeah, Yankees, man. We're fickle bunch. Let's see, what else? Uh, this doesn't really add much, but just fun little fact. I was actually at Tyler Clippard's debut game. It was a Subway Series game on May 20th, 2007. I only remember that because I actually wound up scoring that game. Uh, which, of course, means that the Mets lost. They always do that when I score the game. <laughs> and uh, last note, just about Pedroia. Uh, Pedroia is retiring, but Pedroia's height jokes are not retiring. Andrew, thank you so much for your call. Our next call is from Dave. Hey, Em and Tom. This is Dave. thought I'd call this week with the interesting question of what was the most awkward trade you can remember? I always think, or just, Player move, too. It doesn't have to be a trade. I was thinking about when Glavin joined the Mets. It was just so weird to have Glavin on the Mets since he destroyed us for all those decades. And then I also thought about Wade Boggs joining the Yankees or even Giambi joining the Yankees. So anyway, what would be your pick of a player you never thought would play for a team and they ended up playing for them? Thanks. Love the show. Bye. I think it well it's funny when we first I must confess when we first heard your voicemail and you listed Giambi and then Boggs I looked at John I said he just said like the best ones like now who else am I going to choose but then Johnny Damon came to mind that was an odd move so was Ellsbury but I feel like Damon was more so because he in the memories of Yankees fans there, there are moments in Red Sox Yankee playoff history that Damon absolutely crushed our souls, like that fucking Grand Slam in the 2004 ALCS, things like that. So then to see him clean shaven and in a Yankees uniform was unsettling to say the least. Yeah, that that was the first one that came to mind for me was definitely Damon. On a smaller scale, Billy Wagner popped into my head too. Cause if you remember, he spent a couple seasons on the Phillies uh, before he came to the Mets. But it it never really had that feeling of like, oh, he'll never be a Met. And now, honestly, I don't really even think of him as a Philly. I think of him as an Astro into a Met. So, yeah, I, I got to go with Damon. It, it's for the reasons you cover, just the stark contrast in that's like, you know, he looked like he suddenly like had to go get a job, like like a real job, you know, like clean up, put on a shirt and tie, shave. <laughs> you can't be a baseball player in Boston forever. Right. <laughs> it was like literally like you take like the caveman from the Geico commercials and like if he had to like go pro and like clean up, it's like that. And pretty fitting for episode 45 because he was number 45, but it was a little weird for Pedro to be a Met and then a Philly. That was a little awkward. Like when I think about his career, yeah. especially because those years were so far removed from like his prime. I mean, relatively speaking, it was like eight or nine years, but it was such like a different Pedro, but it was still so awkward. It was like, what the fuck is this guy doing in those Mets pinstripes and those Phillies pinstripes? Yeah, I mean, I, I barely think of him as a Met and I honestly forgot that he was on the Phillies. Yankees got to beat him one last time in the World Series. I'm That's pretty sure right. that was his That's last right. year too. Dan, thank you so much for your call. Our next call is from Quinn. Hello, it's Quinn. I didn't go to Harvard, so I might not know this for sure, but I would think that trading your best player 
to another team and then giving that other team $50 million is possibly a bad idea. Yeah, I've been on like cloud nine all week because of it, but I think the Rockies have got to be one of the worst run organizations in all of sports, and I really don't know how Jeff Breidich has a job. So, yeah, that, that organization is kind of a disaster, but I'm also very thankful for them right now. So, yeah. I mean, the minute that I saw the news, I immediately thought of Quinn. Literally right away, I tagged him in whosoever tweet it was, Passons, and I posted a picture of, like, I was like, Quinn right now, and it was a picture of, like, someone, like, on a stretcher being resuscitated, but then Quinn wasn't, he didn't have any activity for, like, an hour or two after that, so I was like, oh my god, did, when I tweet things, does that, does it happen in real life? <laughs> but thankfully, he resurfaced sometime later. <laughs> did, did we actually kill him with baseball news? Yeah. Quinn, you're right. That organization has run like a fucking dumpster fire and it worked out for you guys. So congratulations. I'm looking forward to seeing Arenado in the Central. You know, it's funny. Speaking of him in the Central, I get a kick out of there's a developing pattern of stuff happening right after we say it and record it to contradict us, like right before it drops. Like the whole we, we, we were talking about like Steve Cohen having some W on Twitter last week. <laughs> And then the next day, he's off of Twitter. Same kind of thing. We were shitting on the Central just last week. Like, oh, yeah, all, all the all the good players go to the coasts. And, like, the next day, Arenado goes to the Cardinals. Well, you know what? So in that case, maybe people should start sending in things that they want to happen, and we'll start saying, like, the opposite of it. And maybe it'll, it'll come to fruition for everybody. Quinn, thank you so much for your call. And thank you to all of our callers. You guys are awesome. Anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun, give the Breaking Balls Hotline a call. 631 631- 820-7377. So there was some fun news this week. I mean, it was fun for most people, but not for others. The video game, MLB The Show, they announced their, their cover boy for this year. The game comes out in April, but the cover boy will be Fernando Tatis Jr., which personally I think is a great choice. I think that he is the f- the future of the game, and he's he's one of the most popular players in the game as we speak. I said the most popular, and I had a lot of angry people for some reason being like, uh, actually, this well, person... You know, everybody's favorite player is the most popular player. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's basically what I was able to deduce in my reply section on Twitter. But somehow people managed to be upset about this choice. Somehow. Like, first of all, it couldn't be any more innocuous. It's a fucking video game. Well, you, you know what? One thing I noticed is, and I, I got to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. I think Tatis might be the first guy where his photo is of him flipping a bat on a video game cover. I think all the other guys are like mid-swing or, you know, they have their hands on the bat like a good red-blooded American. <laughs> and it's a shame. I mean, if that's the route that they're going to go, I feel like they have to go Batista next. Like, that is like the ultimate bat flip. Well, that's what I get. They went with Josh Donaldson instead of Jose Batista. So I'm not quite sure what they're doing with the covers. And that one, like at least Donaldson, I think maybe that was probably around when he won that MVP. I think he won in like 2015 or something like that. It was. It was the year after. So like that makes sense. But they haven't followed that pattern. So like I get it. He was really good that year. But Josh Donaldson, really? There's no pattern. It's chaos because then the next year is Ken Griffey Jr. who had retired like a decade before that game came out. I guess maybe the the argument there was that he was inducted into the Hall of Fame the year before. I don't know. I'm just making things up now to try to make it make sense. Someone make it make sense. So you're saying that we dodged Kurt Schilling on the cover of MLB The Show 2022? Oh my God. (laughs) But what was it? Like 12 votes, 16 votes? (laughs) 
So our top three this week is top three MLB The Show cover snubs. But before we get into that, so of course we looked up who's been on the cover. I, not being a gamer, um, I don't know if I was thinking that this video game was going to be like as old as time itself, but I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Like there's got to be a million players not realizing that the game only started in 2006. So the list is pretty short. And somehow, some way on that list, the 2015 cover boy was none other than Yasiel Puig, who isn't even on a fucking team right now. So how the hell did that guy get on the cover? Well, no, and it's interesting because like they kind of shot themselves in the foot. They can't use steroids to keep guys off, right? They had David Ortiz on the, the inaugural cover and they can't use off the field issues either because Yasiel Puig got a freaking cover. So like what? <laughs> but then we, let's go with Javi Baez. Well, you know what? I don't want to say names. Why don't we start talking about who we think should be on this? Let's get right into it. So, John, our top three MLB The Show cover snubs. Who was your number three? All right. So I feel like my last couple of top threes haven't had my usual addendum. So this is going to be nice and wordy. So I noticed a pattern here. We look at all the guys that have been on the cover and none of them are pitchers. So I'm looking on Wikipedia, going through the list, and there was... You know, they have the initial list of, you know, all the cover athletes. And then it goes down, and apparently there's different versions. So they have different guys in the Canadian version some years. There's a Korean version. And they change the players. So, like, the, the Canadian version, it's always a Blue Jay. And Marcus Stroman was on there one year. Right? For the Korean version. Chan Ho Park was on there one year. So pitchers can be on the cover of these games. They, they're just not for whatever reason. So that's where I focused my snubbing in. Because, listen... I, pl I play the show, right? And I'm still playing MLB The Show 2016, the one with Josh Donaldson on the cover. And it's not just because that was the year after the Mets were in the World Series, so they're really good in that game. <laughs> but no, I think that the games took a little bit of a dive after that. And I'd be curious to hear what people think about this. I'm somebody who, when I play the show, I actually enjoy pitching more than hitting. I feel like the the pitching is a little more... A little more direct as far as like your input, as far as the strategy, you can choose your pitches and stuff. The hitting feels a, a little random, a little kind of just like get the basic timing and it's hard to aim and stuff, right? So I decided to focus on pitching and pitchers for my snubs. And just to show you that I'm being serious, not a homer, I didn't give DeGrom the number one spot like you thought I might. He's my number three. And going back to that 2016 one, Instead of Donaldson, they should have went with DeGrom. Because when you're playing that game, they go through, like, in the loading screen. It starts with a picture of Donaldson swinging the bat. And then it rotates through a few other players, the second of whom is DeGrom, mid-motion. Back when he had the long hair flying. And that that's the main point here, is that you want to talk about, like, getting a cool shot in. I know, it's easy with batters, right? You know, they're mid making, you know, making contact and, you know, making the fast motion. It's all good. Do you remember when DeGrom had the long hair, how wild he looked? mid-motion that would have been sick on the cover of a game and they kind of weirdly missed their opening because he started winning Cy Young's after he cut his hair it was like a reverse Samson and Delilah kind of thing but um so yeah so for my money I, I cannot believe that DeGrom previously when he had the look and now when he has you know the awards stacked up hasn't gotten the cover it's crazy to me I would love for them to be like, fine, we're going to put DeGrom on there. And then they just put fucking Giselleman. They don't realize it's I was going to say DeGrom. they do Cindergaard or Giselleman <laughs> or something. <laughs> Insert generic long-haired Mets pitcher here. My number three is Mookie Betts. Now, I love Mookie. Great player. You know, it's not like he's been around for a decade. 
But when I saw, so Mookie won a World Series in Boston in 2018. He won an MVP that year. He had one of the best seasons, the best individual seasons in Major League Baseball history that year. Somehow Javi Baez gets put on the 2020 cover of this game. Like, how is Javi Baez making it to the cover before Mookie Betts? And it's not even like Mookie Betts is in a quote-unquote not a marketable player. He's extremely marketable. He's got swag, he's cool, he's young, and he's now played on both coasts and won World Series on both coasts. And now, of course, that didn't happen until this year. But that potential has always been there, and he's been a marquee player. So I I really don't see that. There's no excuse to me for Javi Baez making a cover before Mookie Betts. Well, and to me, just to add on to that, it's crazy to use the Cubs that year. You're not going to do it right after, after they won the World Series. They put Ken Griffey Jr. on the cover, and then three years later, a Cub gets on. It makes no sense. They're like, these lovable losers still aren't marketable. Put Griffey on there. <laughs> All right, so for my number two, I went with Max Scherzer because, you know, you want to talk dominant pitchers. I don't even need to read off stats. We all know how good he is. I'm looking at this again from a marketing standpoint. So a lot of these covers, you know, they're, they're zoomed out action shots, right, of them, you know, mid-motion, you know, swinging the bat, throw, whatever they're doing. With Scherzer you zoom all the way in, right? Because we've all seen him pitch when the camera goes in on him and he's got the glove right up. I almost, I almost put my hand in front of my face forgetting that I'm recording. <laughs> yeah, I was, I'm sitting here watching John so do this. So, you know, he's got the glove up and you just see his eyes and he's got the uh, hetero, heterochromia hetero, iridium. Say it one more time. Heterochromia, heterochromia iridium. Right, right. I, I didn't know that last part. It was heterochromia. Anyway, so yeah, so for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, he has the one blue eye and the one brown eye. And it look you know, it just looks super intimidating, super like this guy's gonna fuck me up. He looks like an alien or something. So that's what you do for the cover, man. Just zoom in, just his face is the entire cover. One of my favorite things about his heterochromia is like a few years ago, he had a family photo with like his wife and their two dogs, and both the dogs also had the same heterochromia iridium, <laughs> the brown eye and the blue eye, and it was pretty cute. That's awesome. My number two is Derek Jeter, because once they introduced the player who's retired on a cover with Ken Griffey Jr., once again, how does Javier Baez then beat out Jeter? Like, I feel like... I'm obviously stuck on the Baez thing. The fact that he's on a fucking cover, and sorry to any Cubs fans who are listening, I respect Javi Baez, he's great, but if Ken Griffey Jr. is to be on a cover, how are you not going to put Jeter on a cover? Like, Judge, great representation for the Yankees, but Judge is the first Yankee to get an MLB of the Show cover, not literally one of the most famous baseball players of all time who managed to transcend the game, and people who don't follow baseball know who Derek Jeter is. Well, not alone that, they open the door with Griffey. It's like, where does it stop? Do, do a Ruth cover, do a Ted Williams cover, do a Roberto Clemente cover. <laughs> Ruth cover, just him fucking eating. The the shot with him with the medicine ball being pushed against his stomach as workout. Dude, before we realized we were going to get like semi-serious about this top three, I did like kind of like a jokey one. And I was like, get one with Doc Ellis, you know, the guy who pitched the perfect game on LSD. <laughs> He's all fucked up on LSD. Yeah, yeah. Get one with like, you know, beer belly hungover prime David Wells. Like get some like gnarly shit on there. Or use one with Keith Hernandez, but the picture of him smoking in the dugout. <laughs> use a picture of modern day Jose Canseco. <laughs> in front of his car wash. In front of the car wash, Yes. <laughs> So, John, what was your number one? My number one is Clayton Kershaw, because that to me is such a stupidly easy decision. I mean, besides the fact that, I mean, DeGrom's amazing, Scherzer's amazing. Kershaw is a fucking transcendent generational talent, right? Oh, yeah, he's literally like Full top stop. Right, first ballot Hall of Famer, all that shit. 
And so that to me is like, I, I kind of understand, you know, as I'm going through this, DeGrom, Scherzer, yada, yada, yada. I understand to an extent it's a marketability thing. You know, it's it's not that it's easier to hit than pitch, but you know, pitching, we've talked about it, such a specific specialized thing. It's more relatable to hit a ball. You know what I mean? So I, I, I kind of get that, but Kershaw is just that level of player where it's like, how do you not give him every adulation that you possibly can, including a video game cover? It, it, it's crazy. He's too good in the bigger picture of baseball or, you know, the hundred plus years it's been around. He he ranks like near the single digits in pitchers like he is up there, man. Oh, yeah. Top three all time. That's what I'm saying. So to not get a cover with him, that's such a missed opportunity to me. And that segues perfectly into my number one, which is just as egregious. The fact that Michael Nelson Trout, literally the best player in the league in a generation for the last decade, clearly the best player, has never been on a cover. And I will bring it back to Javier Baez has been on a cover of the show before Michael Nelson Trout. And this is a fucking travesty. You know what? I mean, I'll say this. We could have really condensed this down to a top one and I say nothing and Emily just says Trout and it would have been as effective. Or we could have just done, who is the player on this list that is least deserving? Javier Baez, clearly. That's what this top three (laughs) has boiled down to. (laughs) That about wraps it up for Breaking Balls this week. We want to thank all of our listeners. You guys are awesome. And we, of course, want to thank our callers. Anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun, feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. You could also find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod. And we want to thank our amazing producer and engineer, DJ Bingington. You can find him on Twitter as well, at DJ B-I-N-G-I-N-G-T-O-N. And we will catch you guys next week. Misdemeanor on the floor, pretty boy, here I come. Pumps in the bump, make you want to hurt something. I can take your man, I don't have to sex something. Hang him out the